Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hey, what's up, everybody? If you uh, remember from last week, we finished off one of the DJ duos uh, that I brought in, uh, being Bad Boy Bill and Richard Humpty Vision. And uh, because of their recent tour uh, that is being touted as all vinyl and some of the controversy that that kind of conversation stirs up, um, we, of course, got to talking about it. And so as a continuation of last week's episode, uh, just want to kind of slide back in right as we started talking about uh, the vinyl only subject uh, as it pertains to the uh, Bad Boy Bill and Richard Humpty Vision tour, and uh, we'll pick up on the conversation where we left off. Thanks for tuning in. I want to know how the forefront of DJing became a gimmick. Right, right. That's not a gimmick. That's where DJing came from. That's right. Right. And like... (laughs) I, I get the, like, when people have the argument, like, there's no reason to spin vinyl anymore or whatever. Like, I see where people are coming from with that, but, like, what, who cares? Right, yeah. right. Like, what, right. why don't you just play whatever format you want? Like, we've had this conversation a million times, and, like, you can't make everyone happy. No, right. That, like, somebody's going to say that you're a dinosaur if you play on this. Somebody's going to say that you're rejecting the roots of DJing if you play on this. It, so, I, you know. Do what you want and have fun with it. And Absolutely, I think that's what they're doing. Yeah, cool. and 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 if you've, and I mean, if you are one of those people that just is in that camp, then if you get a chance to see them, I'm telling you, if it's anything like it was, you know, 20 years ago or or you know, however many years ago it was, uh, seven? 20. 96 would have been 20 years. Yeah, yeah. So, and by the way, I mean, if if you guys disagree with me, you know, leave a comment and tell me why. I mean, right. I'll, you know, I'll listen. Yeah, but I'm willing to hear hear you out. But it's you know? funny you say that about people complaining about vinyl because I've seen a resurgence in audiophiles purchasing like these old uh, records, you know, and yeah. going back to a vinyl mm-hmm. and buying, you know, going to these places that specialize in old school audio equipment, you know, buying like vacuum oh, yeah. tube type, uh, oh yeah, amplifiers and things like that. So yeah, people are are starting. I mean, record warmth is the big buzzword there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and, well, and, and and even artists are releasing. Uh, albums in vinyl now yeah, with intention with, with with digital download uh yeah uh, Keys. uh yeah and all that some stuff. you can only get vinyl months before the even digital download comes out they right. want you to buy it. a lot of techno yeah. guys are doing that are they? i think some of that might be an attempt to to monetize in a saturated market too at least they can sell a physical good Right. You know, as opposed to a Beatport download, and, right. and so that also kind of makes sense too. From for the heads who really want it, mm-hmm. you know, you pay the premium, you get the actual thing, you get the the revenue from that, and then you can release the digital download or however you do it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, I yeah. And some people just <laughs> like the exclusivity. Some people never release it on digital. Right. You know, then they're typically making some kind of statement or. Whatever, but yeah. yeah, but I'd argue to say that you see a lot more vinyl releases now because was it uh, Peppers just released their re- most recent album on vinyl, and I, I didn't even know it. But I was walked into a music store the other day. I was like, "Oh crap, mm. that's kind of sweet." Yeah. Well, and a lot of people have tables again, which wasn't the case for a while. You know, yeah, and, and right next there's to a big the, market for right it. Right next to the display, right. they had like four or five different variations of turntables you could get. I mean, there were yeah. some that were completely battery powered. 
and portable that you can mm-hmm. just plug up to a, a portable speaker. Oh yeah. You know, yep. so I thought that was, you know, I th- well, think it's Yeah, it's, for like 100 bucks you can pick up these like Crosley things that are mm-hmm. they're like little suitcases and it's got, you know, battery uh, it's uh battery powered with uh, speakers yep. built right into it. I think they even have Bluetooth and right. stuff on them. Yeah. 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 Um but you know, I, I, the 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 vinyl market has been on the on the rise again for I don't know probably the last three to five years yeah a good while and um, you know so <clears throat> I think that's uh, that's a definitely a good thing because well, it, th- the the hardest part about it is that uh, vinyl manufacturing hasn't been able to keep up with the demand so yeah. like if I wanted to release a vinyl now. <laughs> It, it you know I even if I have the file now like <laughs> I, the song is done it's mastered and then I send it off it might be six months before it ever sees the market because they're so behind yeah but you know yeah I warmth still is think- always the big buzzword and and physical medium and all of that stuff you know I mean and and kudos to you know the younger generation that that is picking up on that well I was just gonna say I think I think a new generation is discovering that it's possible to own a piece of media. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Which, I mean, that sounds ridiculous for me to say as a well, 30-something. But, absolutely. You well, know, that was 20-year-old kids, they've never had to buy CDs and Right, and that stuff. was something that, that got lost yeah, with, the, the, with the digital music yeah. uh, revolution. So now they sure. get something nice and crispy yeah. they can take out of the, you you hear the crackle you as soon as you take it out. Yeah. yeah, beautiful artwork and but all that. But it's even going back to when they re-reproduced the techniques again. And they said mm. the biggest issue was that most of the machining that they had used in Japan to make the original techniques was just not usable. So they had to recreate a lot of the machinery right. in order. To, I wonder if in, that's in order true to or not. re-release. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. I've heard that too. Yeah. Allegedly, yeah. I was gonna so say, we had to just, charge four thousand dollars. Exactly. I was gonna say justification I'm, yeah. for a. I'm sorry, but four hundred percent increase. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Tony, you've had a long sabbatical from the show, so who would you like to bring in as your duo? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the same one we wanted to bring in, but Absolutely. left it to you because it's been a while. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it, um, and they are the reason why I came into electronic music, which is uh, Sasha and Digweed, of course. Yay! Yay! Um, <laughs> All big fanboys on the show. <laughs> Man, how could you not? Ha- After, hashtag yeah, Sasha when, and when, when you experience one of their shows, um, seeing them play, hearing them, it's... I may or may have not been influenced back in the day, chemically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not liberty. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. Right. Um, but even, you know... To the most soberest and un, non, non-understanding person that doesn't know electronic music, if you go into one of their shows, listen to those guys, and have the patience to listen to those guys, um, it's probably, I can almost compare it to a religious experience, like no joke, because these guys, they take you on such a journey where it starts almost nowhere mm-hmm. you know um and ends leaving you walking out saying what the hell just happened to me i feel the exact same way about yeah. going to a tool concert you know <laughs> it's <laughs> <laughs> 
I've never been to a Tool concert. Oh, uh, now I want to attend. Right there. <laughs> um, but no, Sasha and Digweed, they are the the reason why um, I really got into more of the underground side of electronic music. A buddy of mine brought Renaissance CD to me, you know, and I listened to it. And I, I just, the flow of those guys, and, and I... On those CDs, I never knew if it was Sasha or Digweed playing those, uh, which track, whatever. Mm -hmm. But they flowed so good together. The seamless mixing, the the key of the song, it just everything. And they were records. Yeah, everything flowed that. perfectly with those guys. And you know, back in the '90s, they started bringing them over to the Twila once a month mm -hmm. in New York for a residency. And I never got to attend. I've heard about it, heard about it, heard about it, you know, and um, never got to catch any of them live until the first time I saw Sasha and Digweed together. Because I saw, I saw Sasha by himself at the Groove Jet in Miami. Um, that was 1999. Um, and then I saw them together at the Winter Music Conference in Miami on main stage and it was only an hour it was on the beach it was it was horrible that was my first experience with them um i don't want to say the mixing was bad it's just in that environment it's not a place to see those guys you want to see them in a in a closed space, closed space four or five hour set dark room dark room you know that's that did it for me. Right. You know, that you, did it for me. You yeah, context up, is everything, as we've mentioned right. a billion so times before. Yeah. I mean, they, there's there's a time and a place for certain things, styles, sounds, mindsets, and yeah, like mm -hmm. what you just described is exactly it's, what I would, I would, I, yeah, dark room. You know, give, give me give me that warehousey or or you know kind of industrially kind of club mm -hmm. feel. You know, give give me give me that over a beach any day those, when you're throwing Sasha and or Digweed at me. Absolutely, those guys alone. Even you know, as you were talking about Bad Boy Bill and, mm -hmm. and, and Richard Vision, them playing separate is they're still amazing. Mm -hmm. They still take you on that journey. Um, I saw. Digweed by himself. I saw Sasha by himself, and then I saw them together at the Winter Music Conference. That's when it was still on the actual beach, right? On on South Beach, it was horrible. But we went to um, we went to a party at the Crowbar mm -hmm. um, Club in Miami. It was during the Winter Music Conference week, and it was Carl Cox opening. Opening. Opener? Well, no, not the room opener. Okay, right, right, there, right, was, right, right. there was a room opener. There was Carl Cox and then Sasha and Digweed played. And they played, uh, I think it was a four-hour set. And we, there were one, two, three, four, there were five of us. And to get a table and to get a bottle in Miami, I'm sure any, everybody knows <laughs> how expensive oh, yeah. how expensive it is. And we really didn't have that money at the time, but it was Sasha and Digweed. We were on vacation. Right. Why not? We all splurged on the table, got a bottle. Caldwell's Fargo. <laughs> now, right? now, mind you, when you're done with that bottle, if you're not buying another bottle, you got to go. Right. Yeah, they're taking your yeah, table yeah. from you. You can stay in a section, but they take the table from so you. So you learn to sip like real slow? No. No, no they for the there was a waitress there to pour your drink uh, if your drink yeah, was empty. Okay. It was, you know, whatever. But at that time, I didn't care. Right. You know, I, 
take I was my there money. listening to Sasha and Digweed, <laughs> and, and take but we went through the we went through the one bottle, and um, you know it it was whatever. And Sasha and Digweed were playing, and I didn't even know that much time went by. Mm. Had no idea, you know. Um, but I, I can't really describe to the listeners that have never listened to Sasha and Digweed the journey that these guys really take you on. Right. Right. Um, and it's 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 no joke. It's really no joke. Yeah. So, question. Uh-huh. You said, like, your initial experience wasn't stellar? No. And Well, with them as a duo when I first saw them. But just because of the environment and everything. Yes, we were... Everybody knows uh, how many people go to Ultra, mm-hmm. you know? A lot. A lot, yes. And it was on the beach in Miami with... I venture to say 20,000 people just at that stage alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an MC, you know, saying the wrong name. John Digweed ran over to him and you could read his mouth perfectly <laughs> like, shut the F up. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> just look, you could see it clear as day because he was saying the wrong names. Right. And, you know, you had your MC, you had all these people kicking sand everywhere. This, Their sound, too, is just not meant for... Wide and you've even space. mentioned it yeah. when we were at Movement, mm-hmm. watching John Digweed on main stage. Yes, watching it's, Digweed on main stage was much different than watching him on the side stage. Yeah, it's, it's hard to get <laughs> that... Cause it, it was just thunderous bass, thunderous and bass, else. and you don't hear a lot of the, the the breakdown, the melodic sounds, and well, they're very subtle. With yes, that stuff. very right? very and you subtle. Miss that detail if it's too overpowering. Too overpowering with the bass, yeah. yeah. Um, but that was my first experience at Ultra. But then that same week is when we went to see them at the Crowbar in Miami, and it was just, whew, it was it was definitely an experience. Um, so you knew. But you knew it was the environment that had an impact on your interpretation of that setting versus them as artists. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. We we did in 2004. Well, we saw them many times after that because they did, uh, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the whole they were the first ones to do an actual bus tour as yep. DJs. They did the Delta Heavy tour. Mm-hmm. They started at Delta Heavy tour, and they were the first ones to coin that whole thing. And we... Um, I didn't get the opportunity to see the first couple years, but I saw in 2005 um, they did the first. The first date that I saw was the the Ultra Carry On, which was the after party of Ultra. It was at the uh, the American Airlines Arena in Miami. It was Uncle Hernan Catano and Sasha and Digweed, and it was Sasha and Digweed played from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. I got chills just hearing you talking about it. I'm getting all teary eyed. And I mean. Again, you know, it was, it reconfirmed my thought of them as a duo. And it was, it's having that relationship like we talked about earlier and being able to play a record or an MP3 or a wave after the next person and it not being that much more or that far off into left field you know, is complimentary. Very, very. Right. It's not an yeah. easy thing to do. Right. You know, and it's 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 a it's almost like a chess game. And I don't really I don't play chess, but I do know when people play chess that you have to think five moves ahead. That's right. So when you're playing this record, you have to think about you know what's going to come two records, you know, beyond that. 
And that mm-hmm. often requires you to squash your ego too. hundred percent. Like, what you might want to play next might not be better for the set. Right. We all want to see that crowd, you know, go crazy and go ballistic. But what those guys do is <laughs> they may not have the crowd go ballistic until 90 minutes into their set. Right. You know, they're just starting them off with a real slow intro long intro into real light groovers into groove, yeah. you know the the good rhythmic bass lines don't even come in until hour and a half two hours into their set right you know it's just so it's a long you, haul yes oh, yeah. it is yeah. yes it is you definitely have to have patience and i i do know being in the industry and seeing now what the kids want there's not much patience left in these kids. Instant they, they gratification. Instant gratification. Yes, they yeah. do. And uh, my wife, she sort of listens to the music that I play, mm-hmm. and that was a comment that she made. Is like, because you know, last night that was like the first time you guys ever heard me play, and like I'm kind of a down tempo, mm-hmm. like, you know, deep house type cat. And just one day, I was just you know just practicing, and I was playing like all these heavy bangers, you know big room stuff and she was like oh you know that's the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm used to hearing I was like well yeah that's that like uh, attention deficit I need it now <laughs> type stuff where the song is three minutes and it's like kicking you in the teeth the entire time she's like that's a lot different than what you normally play I was like well I was just trying to do something different and I told I explained to her the difference mm-hmm. right. well, and I and think the the demographic that is in this scene now is more of that instant gratification yeah. you know you give me big beat now. <laughs> and to be fair, that I live for the drop. <laughs> Where's the drop? Yeah, to be to be fair, that you know, Sasha and Digweed were they were coming out in the middle of the '90s. You know, before this was a thing here, sure. and so you had probably a lot more time. You know, they could throw an eight-hour rave set, and that was just what they did all the time in Europe or whatever. And, you know, and so nowadays, you know, a lot of times you're fit into a one, two, three-hour time slot. You got to be out by last call, that whole thing. So I'm sure that affects the, you know, that... Tony, you brought up the journey Mm -hmm. a few times, and and, um, words like uh, religious experience and, and stuff, and... Those are terms, you know, especially the journey. Like that's a very typical thing to yeah, that you kind of cliche, yeah, cliche yeah, thing yeah. that DJs say. And I'm just as guilty as the next person. Those kind of yeah, journey, yep. yeah, whatever. That's what everybody says. Right, right, right. I don't say that with Sasha and Digweed. Like they, if anybody takes you on a musical journey as DJs, it's them. Agreed. Um, I, I completely agree with everything that, that you just said. And, and this is coming from somebody who's never heard both of them play together live. So full disclosure, but. Um, there's there's plenty of material out there. <laughs> there is rumor that they might be doing a 2017 tour. Yes, together. I will make that happen. <laughs> yes, um, but you know they that musical journey thing. If 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 I wanted to describe what that meant to anybody, I'd just say go listen to Northern Exposure or yeah. go listen to Expeditions or yeah. something because and, that I mean it, it is it's it, there's a certain level of restraint and patience first of all that that they exhibit and then there's the combination of their sounds you know you'd mentioned that when you're listening to them you can't necessarily to or at least back then you couldn't really tell who's who in the zoo there mm-hmm. but you know if you've listened to a lot a body of their work over time like probably now you you could pick yeah, some of that out defer, yeah. because you know 
their their sounds were not the same, but they worked in this magical way <laughs> together. Where Digweed had this kind of darker, progressive, tribally tinge to his mm-hmm. stuff, and Sasha had a little more of the twinkly, mm-hmm. you know, melodic, sparkly stuff. And and it just right. came together in this amazing yep. mesh that nobody else seems to quite have figured out. Right, right. Yeah. Or or I've missed it. Oh, and and they they. You know, it, 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 it's a it's the true like sonic melting pot there. You know, like it, you know, I think Sasha's uh, contributions there kind of pulled Digweed up a little bit mm-hmm. from the rawness of of his uh, style, but then uh, Digweed kind of tones down Sasha as well. So like, yeah. what what ends up there in the middle is their product and and while you know you mentioned before that it's kind of hard when they play alone it's kind of hard to tell them apart you know if given a long enough timeline right because Mm -hmm. they both have a similar style in their in their journey or or the way that they play over time Mm -hmm. so but yeah And, and just to put a little disclaimer in there i'm talking about their their careers overall so like there's if we break it down into like 99 2000 they both got pretty right <laughs> you know that was the the era of expander and yeah. heaven sent and yep. so it was just real big trancy that was what everybody that's was what, doing that's that what year. everybody was doing exactly exactly <laughs> so but overall you know yeah you can definitely tell that there was some of that this that there was such a a neat dichotomy to put those two together and right. have that you got this grumble down here and then you got this sparkly thing over here and this the way it came together just it was almost like a new genre emerged yeah from that you know? well and and that that was um that was one of the great things about uh the bedrock label is yeah. that not only did these guys pioneer that sound and really push that sound but then they also shared that sound mm-hmm. i mean when uh when my partner Jason owned a record a record store like that's that's like we we ordered you know from all over the place but when a bedrock shipment came in <laughs> they may not even hit the shelf that's right. <laughs> right to your record they, they would hit the shelf it would be a week later <laughs> right absolutely yeah there sounds um, over time too it was they were. They were trancy. I would consider them trancier sure, back yeah. in the early days. And yeah. then when they started coming with the Global Underground, mm, right. you know, in those like, series, and then they started to get just a little darker, a little, a little darker. darker. Yeah, and it became like what what we called Prague. Prague, yeah. yeah, like yeah. It was, that was our Prague house. Yeah, it was it, like... Which seems to mean something way different now. It, but. It, it really does. And, and I don't know that, like, it ever really meant what everybody thought that it meant, but it just... It, the, the 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 big thing there was like because it got so dark and it it, it wasn't trance anymore but it wasn't progressive house and it wasn't house and it yeah. wasn't techno yeah. it wasn't it, like it, it was its own thing so we had to call, it, to something. call it something yeah and and because it was it, it had progressive musicality to it it just wasn't all in your face super saws you know right. so like we had to call it something so you know which we we called it prog or progressive and that's um, and that, just one word and then all of a sudden it just kind of phased out yeah. after a time and i'm, I'm kind of glad that it went that way because again when i started off into electronic music and you as well with trance since they were kind of the pinnacle 
or you know my mentors and the guys that I actually followed inside and out and I followed that sound it helped me mold to where I am today because I'm still into the progressive mood the progressive sounds but now you have tech house and techno that have that aren't so loopy like they were in the 90s right. and it has like you know now your your drum codes your Nicole Malbers all you know all those names that now break down a little bit mm-hmm. and have good build builds <laughs> <laughs> have good builds you know so it's made that darker sound right also progressive yeah. you know and give you that progressive feel and that's yeah. uh, I'm glad that I, I I took that route and they kind of opened that door for me there's sure. a buddy of mine who um, uh, he's my buddy Tommy he might be listening so shout out if he is um, he was the person that I played a lot of my first gigs with and he's probably the biggest digweed nut that I know I, I keep telling him that uh, you know he, he was a DJ and he hardly ever comes out now and I keep telling him like he plays that kind of dark tribally house and I'm like you can get away with that now right, like you right. should come back out <laughs> like, especially at our shows yeah I'd yeah, love right. to have him play you know yeah, it'll yeah. work right in with what techno's doing right yeah. now exactly you know? yeah. so yeah they mesh very well I mean you could throw any type of bedrock in with any yeah. given techno song that's from today not any yeah. given techno song but, but pretty close yeah pretty close yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know you brought up Delta Heavy and you you let me borrow the, the Delta Heavy Tour DVD. It's like mm-hmm. a documentary. And uh, it was, we watched it together, me and, and Tommy. And mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting because they were talking about, you know, this was like uh, early 2000s. And they were talking about how this is going to be a big thing, electronic music in America. Mm-hmm. And they were they were just figuring out America. It was kind of interesting. Like, I, th- I think it was Sasha was like, you know, the tea here is garbage, so I just gave up on trying to buy tea. And, you know, it was kind of funny was watching one, He said that was the one thing that he missed about being back home yeah. is the tea. Yeah. But it was kind of funny. That's a they, fair statement. Yeah. This, this was a big thing back then, and nobody knew even what it was and, and where it was going to go. And it's it'd be interesting for them. To, I just want to, like, have a reaction video of, like, jo- of uh, Digweed and Sasha watching themselves say that and then comment on it. Like, okay, what do you think now? Right. about the scene in America and where it's gone. Did it do what you thought it would? Are you happy or upset? You know, what's... They are definitely always, in, in my opinion, and what I've seen, have they have always been way before their time. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're very forward thinkers. Do you, th- do you think that's still the case now with them? Like, uh, absolutely. I, I'd love to know what's what's in their future because they've kind of waxed and waned over time and come right. in and out of the spotlight and and it's it's almost like they just they wait for their time you know this is the, they're the ultimate patient DJs right right <laughs> it's like okay there's a thing happening now we can use this this is gonna be sound. a thirty year thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they're yeah. in it for the long game yeah yeah for sure so. We've all kind of brought in some duos that uh, have had some kind of influence or were notable in some way, but we haven't really talked too much about, other than the trance thing, about our own approaches to tag teaming. And that's something that we've all had some experience with. And so, you know, personally, the biggest thing is trying not to step on each other's toes. It's, um, and so, like you said earlier, if you have two people who know each other well enough that they can give each other space it seems to work out better 
and I've I've had the opposite experience, and I've I've had the opposite experience live too, like at a right, show right. where I it's just like I've got a thing going here, and you're just kind of stomping on it. Right, right. It's almost like someone asking you for a request in the middle of a set. Yeah, but it's but it's totally worse because you have no choice. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's, for me, the biggest thing is just choosing who you're willing to <laughs> to do that with. Right. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, like, I, I mean, I I pretty much gave gave my, my take on all that earlier just because of the experience that I had with Jason. Um, that that like, I mean, I and I've had a lot of good um, uh, tag team experiences aside from Jason. You know, I, I, I've played with a bunch of different people. Um you know, but really our synergy there was, was probably the best out of everybody that I've played a lot with. And, um, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, just being able to check your ego, know what the, what, what, what the plan is and be on the same page with that plan. And it's okay to push each other a little bit or to, you know, kind of, you know, uh, push the envelope a little Mm -hmm. bit and, you know, grow together as a, as a tag team. But and as long um, as you both have that understanding going exactly, in, that that's what you're doing. Exactly. Hey, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Right. And, and you know, like there was a, um, uh, another duo, um, that were quasi local, or at least they were, they were pretty big around here. I know that they did a lot of traveling, um, was a, a duo called Koss and Xavier. Um, and they were really big into like that hard house, you know, type okay. of type of sound to break beats and all, you know, and all of that. Um, so they, they were very busy all the time. You know, there was scratching involved and all of that. So like they, that was part of their style was that they were all over each other, but it worked yeah. and kids loved it and they, they got all over it. But, um, th- but that was the thing. So it, it, it just, it, you need to have that understanding. If you're going to tag team with somebody, what's the final product? What are you trying to present? And what is your contribution to that final right. product? You know, um, Tony and I have tagged a few times and once or twice at a show and then we've done a couple of live streams and then just hanging out at house parties or whatever. And one thing that, one reason I feel like that's always worked well for us is we communicate. Like, so A, at the beginning, we'll be kind of like, hey, where do you want to take this? And it's, usually it's, eh, we'll just see what happens, you know, right. which, which is fine. But um if one of us is going to do something kind of crazy, like bring in a big melody or vocals or something like that, we give each other like a couple tracks notice, like, Hey, I'm headed over here. FYI. Yeah. Yeah. And so it always works out because we just, or Tony will be like, Hey, drop that in a loop for a minute, you know? And, and we just talk like actually literally talk to each other while we're mixing, you know? And so it's still a jam. We're still, it's still on the fly, but we make sure that we don't, have an issue like that to where we like oh crap there's two melodies going at the same time vocals they're not in key yeah, exactly, exactly so i think communication is huge too yeah, so if it's somebody you can't communicate with you have a lot more trouble for sure <laughs> it also in depends. more ways than one yeah. it depends <laughs> on the genre that you're playing as well if you're yes. if, if yeah. you're just playing you know anything trap edm new that's constant drops and bangers then you know that's what it's going to be. It's going to be banger after banger after banger. But if it's a, a a progressive set or anything close to, then yeah, definitely leave your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. Have a lot of patience and you know communicate and 
That's, you know, a more traditional hip hop set too. Mm-hmm. It's you know, take two two DJs spinning wax and, yeah. and playing classic hip hop or something like that. That's a much different type of of tag mixing than we do. You mm-hmm. know, where we're trying to make it, up, we're yeah. trying to generate new songs out of each other's stuff on the fly. Whereas that's a different kind of more of a mashupy kind of thing, maybe. Wow. And so that requires a different skill set and a different kind of communication. Because right. I mean, if you jump from 95 to 114 BPM, that's going to mess up the other guy pretty quick if they're not prepared right. for it, for example. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, as we were, you know, preparing for this show, you know, I, I, I was going back and forth with a bunch of like duos, trios and groups and all of that. And one of them that uh, came came to mind. So I'll throw them in here as an honorable mention um, is the Animal Crackers. Mm, okay. and if anybody's not familiar with the animal crackers that's okay um you still have time um, <laughs> uh the animal crackers is a is a hip-hop collective out of uh cincinnati started with like two or three guys in the in the mid to late 90s and now there's i believe seven or eight members uh r.i.p unseen um but uh the 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 level that they have taken hip hop turntablism is absolutely amazing and all of them are you know super involved in in underground and indie hip hop in general mm. one of them is you know a founding member of glue and another one you know, like they they work with Mr. Dibs and you know all uh, all all sorts they're actually the official DJs of Bootsy Collins from Parliament oh, wow <laughs> right okay so like if that gives anybody any idea so like Kind of a big deal. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, so, but to see them live, like, it's one thing to, like, hear hip-hop, and it's another thing to see a hip-hop DJ, but it's another thing altogether to see six to eight guys up on a stage, and everybody's got their own turntable and, and mixer, and, you know, so everybody is beat juggling something and contributing to this overall sound. They all have their own piece, like they're all playing exactly. an individual instrument. Instruments, exactly. Yeah. And then to get, like, a couple of MCs to get up there and really hype the whole thing up, it really is, it, you know, so to your point, it, it's, a, it's a whole other experience that, you know, it... it it still requires that communication. It still requires that, that and tr- patience. And trust, because there's Absolutely. a lot of hands-on on that kind of mixing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, so we're about out of time here. Mo, did you want to bring in somebody here to, to wrap up the show? Yeah, just to wrap everything up and like what you guys were just talking about with the hip-hop piece, um, I just wanted to talk about the executioners. Yeah, bring it, uh, preach, <laughs> preach. Okay. Um, I uh, had the privilege of seeing them with Eminem. I think around 04 oh, man, or 05 in Phoenix, yeah. and it was a uh, like a mind-altering experience, like watching all these guys on stage together doing their thing and bringing it all together. One of the more popular ones that our listeners might be familiar with is the. Uh, collabo they did with uh, Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park. Uh, I was just going to uh, ask, yeah. so that that was kind of my intro, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, that was, <laughs> that was, that was my intro to Executioners, because didn't, didn't they do that, was it a collaborative album? Was it? It was, uh, the album's called Built From Scratch, um, and I think it was just a little bit of everything where they were all over the place. But the one, okay. like I said, the one that got play on TV, I don't necessarily on the radio, but was this one, uh, it's going down. Okay. Yeah. So, what about that? Didn't they do that remix album, like Reanimation or something like that? Were they involved the, the, in that? The collision course with Jay Z and like that was, yeah, oh, was Jay Z. Yeah. Okay, um, that's but right. I that's think right. They did do some of the the work on that. So, for those that aren't familiar, the Executioners, it's a collaborative effort. They've had multiple members 
to include Total Eclipse, um, DJ Boogie Blind, DJ Precision. Uh, former members are uh, Mr. Sinister, Rob Swift, and Rock Ryder, yep, yep. Um, who passed away within the past two years, like I believe. Three years yeah, ago. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Ironically, in a martial arts incident. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. But um, so this is a group of guys where, you know, three guys going at it at the same time. Right. When I saw them at that show in Phoenix, and it was just like, Dave was saying, it's like they're all playing an instrument. Right. You know, somebody's carrying the melody, somebody's scratching, yep. you know, and then somebody's building. And then to also throw it in with somebody like Linkin Park, who was already part of that new rock movement and you know, maybe the flag bearers for that whole thing. Sure. It was um, really cool to see hip hop and rock collide. Oh, and a yeah. lot of that was going on. Yeah. yeah. In, the early, yeah in the early 2000s, that, that was really early to mid 2000s. That was really getting pushed hard. And the executioners, it wasn't just Linkin Park. Like they, they actually uh, uh, worked with Rob Zombie as oh, well yeah, as more, uh, more human than human. It, more human than human. They did. They did a remix of that and then brought in Slug from Atmosphere to uh, to MC over oh. it, too. It was. Of, it's really. I feel like that was one of my old Napster downloads back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so real familiar. And, and it's funny you bring that up because that's one. That's a song I play at a comp quite often. Send all DMCA's to. <laughs> <laughs> that's one to not SoundCloud. That, that's one of my. <laughs> that's one of my go-to's. Uh, yeah, yeah. For uh, for competitions yeah, and absolutely. stuff like that. That that awesome. one'll get your blood boiling for sure. Yeah. yeah. But in addition to these sort of things. Uh, they also did some other stuff for those of you gamers from back in the day would remember this from XXX Tricky. Oh, right, right. Um, I think it's SSX, right? Not it, not Triple X. That was something else. Yeah, it was a snowboard game. <laughs> that was a different kind of game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might remember this. So it wasn't just all about really in your face hardcore right. hip hop. This is more of like a like a chilled out, yeah, you know, up tempo. Yeah, they were they were really. I mean, executioners just you know they 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 set us a, a pretty high standard, a, a really really high bar to get over. And, and um, even when they crossed over into other things like this, is more almost like a spoken word type sure, thing. Sure, But it still sounds tight. It's not gimmicky. It's right. not like you know. That's what I was just getting ready to say is that for for me, executioners like you know there's there's a lot of hip hop DJs out of there. There's a lot of turntablists, but like. One of the things for me is, like, I can be pretty forgiving, you know, as far as, like, if somebody misses a mark or, you know, if a, if a particular scratch just sounds like it's off a little bit. I mean, we're talking about some pretty amazing stuff that these people do. But, you know, the more precise you are, that's even more, like, the more impressed that I get and yeah. that you'll make a fan out of me. When you, you know, get the, when you get the stank face, uh, <laughs> 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 and you know can hit those about. same marks yeah. every time, every time, every time, and just you know, love it for yes. sure. So this is like a, a practice that spans multiple genres, right. and I think that's kind of cool that you know, from electronic to yeah. you know, turntablism, like with the scratch pickles, yeah. right, and right. then you got the executioners, Sasha Digweed. This is a something that I probably venture to say requires a lot of trust like Dave said a relationship like you know Tony said and yeah. like Tripp was saying you know you just have to feel it right you know you can't just like I said you can't just go and like make it like a pickup game and you pick a name <laughs> out of a hat like all right we're doing two by fours yo let's let's do this and I'm a I'm a turntablist and he's like a you know a, a trans, trans guy yeah. <laughs> 
You better have a plan going in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Mo, great choice. Appreciate Thanks, you bringing that in, and let's, let's just let this one write out as our this one out? yeah, write it out as our outro music. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, post up in the comments if you've got some other duos, trios, or groups in the DJ or electronic music space that you'd like to bring up. We'd love to hear it. And also tell us about your experiences, uh, positive or negative. Absolutely. Tell us your, maybe we could have an episode on negative tag team (laughs) DJ stories or something. That would be interesting. Names and places will be changed to protect the guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next time on the passionate DJ podcast. Easy. See you. Out. The plug, Tony. The plug. I should point at the mic. (laughs) He's like, but I'm, but I'm not done with it. I just got back. (laughs) All right, now.